0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, Anti Culture. I'm your culturally ambiguous host, Josiah Sinanin, and thank you so much for listening. If you're joining us for the first time, this podcast is all about challenging how we see culture here in North America. At this point i've been recording this podcast and meditating so to speak on this concept for almost an entire year and it's been an incredible journey in learning myself challenging my reach and listening to the stories of others that are very different than me my whole life i've had assumptions placed on me and perhaps most commonly about my race i come from a mixed background and i've come to find people from various backgrounds and experiences have opened up to me about this topic, since I seemingly both belong and don't belong to multiple places. Through this experience, I found that culture is less about our background than it is about our story and our personal experiences. So with this podcast, I wanted to create a space where people could talk about cultural identity, race, experience, stories, assumptions placed on them, and give them a space to talk about it without judgment and without assumption. Everyone has a blank slate on this podcast and I found some really interesting people that will challenge the way that you would have assumed they are.
1: People say, well, why do you dress like this? I dress like this because that's how I feel. Yeah. And if I can bring a smile on someone's face and if I can say that because it's my unique identity, I'm not dressing for anybody but myself. Yeah. And if I can bring a smile on the face of someone. Yeah any random person, then isn't it worthwhile? Mm-hmm. And so people uh, so people say to me at the end of the day when I have worked all day, and they say, well, are you going to a party? I said, no, but I've <laughs> just been to one. And they say, well, what is that? I said, well, I'm alive today. It's a party called life.
0: Aren't humans so interesting? We're so complex, yet at the end of the day, we're so similar. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, you're an ENFJ or an ISTP, you're a nine on the Enneagram or you're a three, oftentimes internally we react and feel similar things. For example, after a traumatic event or if we're really happy about something, we can really bond over these things, at least on a large scale. This is why we can empathize with one another and really hear each other's stories. And I think if we take that extra step to listen, will really understand the people around us. I think because of this, sometimes in the most unexpected places, we can find common ground with the most unlikely compatriots. Today's episode is highlighting someone that has crafted, spun around, and put a cherry on top of their very own culture. Dr. Diana Manya has become an enigma in the city of Calgary and beyond. Winning one of the city's best dressed last year, Dr. Manya is firstly known as being an excellent optometrist just north of the river in her Kensington clinic. Her eccentric style, which is not just for special occasions, put her on the map. She's now an advocate for Not In My City, a movement of influencers in Calgary who are standing openly against human trafficking in all its forms within our city and beyond. The symbol of the movement is a yellow rose designed by local designer, Paul Hardy, and Dr. Manya openly wears and advocates for the issue. She's also working on her very own book, which I'll be talking about a little bit later. That's an editorial phase right now. As an optometrist, Dr. Manya tells me that she sees into many souls on a day-to-day basis. When I first met her, I caught myself having my own assumptions about who she was and where she came from. And I'm sure even if you saw the promotional materials for this episode, you have somewhat of an idea of what you're going to expect. But I want to challenge you today. Despite her origin story, every day is now a party in her eyes. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce to you my new friend, Dr. Manya in all her glory. Her true story, as I said, might surprise you and I hope it challenges you to ask more questions of the people you see day to day. Oftentimes, there's a lot more to the story than we realize. All right, so um, yeah, I'm here with Dr. Diana Moina? Manya. Manya. Okay. Manya. Manya. Diana Manya. Okay. That's that's much more. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Diana, meme on you. Oh, there there you you go. go. That drove me crazy. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: All right. Well, um, Dr. Diana, you have a reputation in the city now that has been slowly developing because of your eccentric sense of style. How did this come about and when did you start catching the eyes of people in the city?
1: Well, first of all, Josiah, I yeah. have no idea. Because, you know, I came from the farm of Saskatchewan. Yeah. Now, a long time ago, let's say about 63 years ago. Okay. And um, at that time, uh, my parents had too, too, too many children, okay. like five of us, and uh, not enough money. So, really, the situation was uh, that my dad uh, was really a trapper and a farmer
0: mm-hmm. with only
1: a grade education. Wow. My mother was a nurse. But she, when the first child was born, which was my sister, uh, she decided to give up nursing because she wanted the values of children to be hers and not someone else. So the next child that came along was myself. And all my whole life, I was compared to my sister, who was better, who was, uh, did everything right, and all of these things. Mm. And I could never really live up to her the expectations that my mother right. had of hers. So I decided, why bother? Mm-hmm. But you see, in those days, every parent, every man wanted to have a namesake. So he thought that the next kid born would for sure, absolutely be a boy. Well, I came along. (laughs) So I was kind of a drifter because he really wanted a son. So again, right after me, like literally after me, became my brother and then another brother. And then another brother. So I drifted along between uh, two, um, you know, d- two entities of my older sister, who was uh, the best, and then my three brothers. And uh, so I kind of did my mm-hmm. own thing. Right. So I paved a, uh, a path very early in life of a nondescript type of exa- environment that I dreamed of all the things that I could be. Hmm. So in my mind, I became a princess. In my mind, I became anything I wanted to be because I lived out in Timbuktu where we had no money and too many children. So as time went on, uh, farming just didn't make ends meet. And the demands of the children became greater and greater. So my mother decided uh, that she would have to go back to work. So she took a refresher course and became a nurse again. Mm. And uh, didn't come home for like two weeks at a time. And my sister and I were suddenly elevated to, um, well, chief cook and bottle officer mm-hmm. with my dad being the disciplinarian. So we learned how to grow up very, very quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: of course, uh, funds became very limited. And so throughout my life as a child, I would get my hand-me-downs from my sister or my hand-me-ups from my brother with identity somewhat questionable. Mm-hmm. Life was tough. Mm-hmm. And uh, I realized that the only way to get out of this mess, where I could really develop what I wanted to be, was if I had an education. My mother was a firm believer of the value of education. So uh, I studied really hard. I was totally um, a difficult child to raise. My mother threatened to put me in the convent because I was paving my own path all the time. <laughs> and I said that would be wonderful because I could be like Coco Chanel, you know <laughs> what I mean, and develop some new culture there. So finally she just kind of gave up on me. And I drifted through school doing my thing. But, you know, in those days we had a classroom of like four grades. And you didn't fail, you fail people so that there would be a in grade four, people that were like 14 or 15. Okay. That was my posse of men, Yeah. Uh, because I had the marks. They didn't, but they supported me, so mm. I was always up to some trouble or, or, or this <laughs> or that. So I ran away from home. I did all the things that possibly would make my mother, as she said later in life, have all the gray hairs that she <laughs> had, which was totally great. But throughout that... Throughout those experiences, mm-hmm. maybe I would call now as failures, but I would like to say experiments, mm-hmm. uh, I developed a lot of things. Because as a child, I would look at other people and I would say, I wonder what it would be like if I could have that new. I wonder what it would be like if I could be just like them. But I realized that I didn't have the money and I couldn't do it. Right. And the most revealing moment in my life was when my mother, who was a devout Catholic, uh, would have these altar society meetings where all the old ladies would get together and probably gossip about everything with the priest sitting there. <laughs> uh, well, Mom could attend one of the meetings, and one of the ladies had told Mom that we were too poor
0: hmm.
1: and that maybe us children should be taken away. Hmm. And so my mother gathered all of us children, five of us, and went to exactly the person that said that
0: Hmm.
1: and said, you know what, I'll give up anything in my life, but I will never give up my children. Wow. And from that moment forward, I realized that every single child is worth it. Mm -hmm. And that my job in this life that I would create would be to give back and to change the way of life for a child. yeah. Because every child is unique. And for some reason, we're put in these boxes, and we're led to believe that we're not good enough. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what level of fame or, or whatever we acquire to. At the end of the road, if we don't give back and change lives, then our life really has no valuable mm-hmm. meaning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So throughout my life, I've done whatever I wanted to do because I really believe that, you know, uh, it isn't a matter of self confidence or whatever. People say, well, why do you dress like this? I dress like this because that's how I feel. Yeah. And if I can bring a smile on someone's face, and if I can say that because it's my u- unique identity, I'm not dressing for anybody but myself. Yeah. And if I can bring a smile on the face of someone, yeah, any random person, then isn't it worthwhile? Mm-hmm. And so people and so people say to me at the end of the day when I've worked all day, and they say, well, are you going to a party? I said, no, but I've just <laughs> been to one. And they say, well, what is that? I said, well, I'm alive today. It's a party called Light. That's great. And every single person that comes to visit me is my guest. Yeah. And so I welcome them to the party. Oh. And so that's really how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. And I hope to pass that on, and I hope to give people inspiration that no matter what has happened in your life, however bad it is, know that there are people out there like me Mm -hmm. that want to give back and to help you. All you have to do is ask.
0: Mm -hmm. I I want to get into um, Not In My City and your involvement with that in a bit, but one thing I just want to comment on too, from my perspective, I was born and raised here in Calgary, I've always, and I I enjoy fashion, I like to, you know, be a little quirky here and there, but I think it's such an interesting, I think in Alberta it's harder to be more expressive with your fashion than it is in other places. I did part of my studying in in France and I felt like, oh, this is the place that I can like fit in and be more experimental and, you know, um, explore more artistic um, direction. And I wonder, because especially in Saskatchewan, I'm imagining that's even more so the case that people don't push the envelope with their style. So how do you feel being an influencer in that way? Do you think you're in that position? You
1: see, you see the thing is, just I don't even see myself as that, because I yeah. just do what I want to do.
0: At this point in the conversation, me and Dr. Diana got a little bit off track, but she was just in the midst of telling me a story about how she was at the Millerville Horse Race event, which is an event in rural Alberta where people do dress up and like to express their style. And she came across a couple interesting people. Here's what she had to say.
1: And uh, anyway, uh, so out in the crowd, there are three men. Okay. I don't even know who they are. One is wearing red, one is wearing purple, and uh, <laughs> one is actually uh, wearing kind of a uh, bluish color. Anyway, they're all three different colors. Okay, right? okay. And uh, so anyway, so I see them. I think hot doggy. It's I got to go over and meet these guys. So I go mosing over there. Yeah. And we have a picture together and whatever else. Again.
0: Okay. Everybody
1: liked the look. Everybody says, oh, I really like the but I don't think I can do it. Yeah. Well, what is stopping it? you? Yeah. It's because we take children with unique identities. Isn't it wonderful to know that you were born unique? Mm-hmm. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. There will never be a person on this planet ever again exactly the same as you. And yet, we cloud that thinking by fitting into a mold. Yeah. So the nice thing that I say is about dressing like this. First of all, I don't have to compare myself and have things done to make myself look like some movie star or something else, only to be compared again, because the reason we do that perhaps is self-confidence Yeah. Uh, or lack of it. And then we make ourselves like this, and then we're compared to this again. So why would you do that? So if you dress like I do, or you become your own personal identity, well then, you can't be compared to anyone else, mm-hmm. and if somebody wants to talk to you, about
0: you,
1: well, we've got lots of information.
0: So uh, here we are. Dr. Manya has only shared a brief portion of her story with us so far, but I think it's important to appreciate that she dresses with no regard to her environment. This isn't some kind of glamorous endeavor for her. I feel as though she does it to say to the world, here I am. I was the runt of my family. I felt like I could never achieve what I wanted to, and I could never live up to what was expected of me but I am gonna dress with flair and invite people into the party that is my life. Really, she's thinking like a child in the best way possible, expressing herself with no regard to the world around her. Isn't this how unique cultures are formed and cultivated in the world today? We just go for it, not influenced by anything but ourselves, and we create this world of our own. It's so rare to find people like this, and yet when we do, we admire them tremendously. If only we could all think like children and just express the way we're feeling. As Dr. Manya unpacks more of her story and the long life she has lived, which has brought her back to this childlike thinking, we're given a glimpse into how it was actually hardship that brought her back. She's now free to do as she pleases and inspire the world around her to do the same.
1: There's one thing that I've just got to tell you. I really discover a lot of things as we go along. You know, a few years ago, a friend of mine um, developed breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And you know, as with many types of cancer, it's in and out, in and out of the hospital, and so on. Now, to have her breast removed was bad enough. But when I came to visit her shortly after the surgery, she was really quite depressed. Mm-hmm. And I could understand that. But I said, why are you, look, like, what is it? And she said, well, look, it, my hair is falling out it seemed that the hair falling out seemed to be a bigger issue mm. than losing a breast because you could cover that up. Right. So I said, you know, why do you worry about that? And then I realized that was really inappropriate, so I said, you know what, I will be back. So I shaved my hair off, and then I decided, mm. well, I'm going to go and get some hat, and I have all my friends Uh, that are like designers of different sort that make way outlandish things. And so I got all of these different hats. And every single day I would visit her and I would have some different hat. There would be birds, there would be things, all these different things on my head. It'd be like a moving bouquet of flowers and something would be actually alive. Right. And as I would walk to the Tom Baker Center through the Cancer Center, there would be people in many stages of cancer. Mm -hmm. And they would come up to me and they'd have a conversation with me. And under great degrees of pain and sadness, there would just smile would come to their face. Right. And they say, when are you coming again? Will you come <laughs> and visit again and have a chat? And I would. Wow. So it went on and on like that. And then eventually my friend ended up in the hospice. And uh, it was urgent. Her husband phoned me that I come and talk to her. And mm-hmm. So I got off the plane from Regina because I have a practice there. And I was dog dead tired. But I'm wearing my hat because I said that I would. And I t- promise is a promise to me, and so she said, you know, Dad, I, I want you I want you to promise me one thing, mm-hmm. and I could tell it was only hours before her death, and she said, you know, I want to tell you first that I love you. I said, I'm glad somebody does. Thank you. <laughs> and then she said, and will you promise me one thing? I said, well, sure. Well, can I keep it promise? Because me, that's really important. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, will you continue to wear hats? Wow. I said, like just today? Oh no. I said, like, every day? And she said, yes. Wow! And I thought for a moment, you know what? I can do that. Mm-hmm. So in the memory of everyone who's survived cancer, who's passed from cancer, or any relative thereof, all of us have met someone, I wear this hat in memory of them. Wow! So it's my own way to say, I'm not just being eccentric here and there, so who cares? Uh, but I wear it to represent right. each person out there to know that they have not been forgotten. Right. And so I have closets full of hats, yeah, literally, I can made imagine. by various designers. And so when I wear these, people think, well, are you celebrating the royal wedding? Hell no. <laughs> I'm celebrating whatever I want, and then they can tell them the story. Right. So interestingly, in the day of the royal wedding, the last one that yeah. going through, I'm going actually to the States. And... Um, <laughs> The police outside the the uh, outside of security say to me, "Oh, have you come back from the railway? And I said, "Oh yes," and I'm so totally exhausted <laughs> <laughs> from That's all the paparazzi. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Is that how all of this started then is kind of with the hats and then well I've
1: always been a bit out there you know, okay. I start from early days in my fantasy about being all all right, right and having like having to figure out how to do it myself so yep. I wear these like wild and bizarre things people would think you're a little eccentric and from southern Saskatchewan they think you were <laughs> and frankly I don't actually care yeah and I never did care because yeah. I really didn't fit in any mold so I just did my own thing yeah and you know what it didn't come without a lot of uh, how shall I say, criticism, and a lot of bashing. Right. And uh, a lot of really developing a thick skin. Yeah. And then I realized, you know what, when I would see some of my friends sadly take their lives, who had it all, Mm -hmm. as we see today,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: what is with this? It's because you haven't lived the person that you really are. Yeah. You've lived the glass house facade of what people expected you to be and therein lies the prison. so that's why i say live who you're going to be if people don't like you as long as it's and i have children so i have to say as long as it's not harmful to yourself Mm -hmm. or to someone else yeah open territory yeah and if you make a mistake well what's the worst thing that can happen
0: yeah so what who has inspired you growing up like who are some people that you have looked up to in coming to that realization. Well, I'm
1: gonna tell you something that no one really you can understand as a child, especially in southern Saskatchewan. It was really pretty frustrating for me. Yeah. Because I had my exceptional sister, I had my brothers and I kinda of didn't fit in, Like yeah. So anyway, the person that meant most in my life. Mm-hmm. that was totally devastating to me when he suddenly passed away at the age of 59, suddenly from myocardial infarct. Was my father. Hmm. He would take oh. me. I could never understand. He he would take me, and even though I my mother was always like, well, I'm like, can't you just like, can't you just be normal? Can't you just attend the table when the priest is there with all the other children? Mm-hmm. Why do you have to hide under the bed? You know things like that. Yeah. Something like this is a facade. Uh, I anyway he would say to me, you know. He, uh, when I'd go outside and I would freckle and everybody else would have, like, tan skin and I would have <laughs> freckles, like, this is not fair. Nothing was really fair in my life. <laughs> and my father took me aside, he always would, and he said, come on over here, little Prunella Primrose. <laughs> he says to me, you're beautiful. Wow. And you'll always be beautiful.
0: That's powerful.
1: So the first moment in my life when I was devastated is when suddenly he died just mm. like that. And I didn't think, at that moment, that I could really have the capacity to continue on. And it was a funny thing, because I was so devastated that I thought, you know, maybe I should just jump into the coffin with him, I just can't do it. Mm -hmm. And there was a voice that spoke and said, you must continue on and I'll always be there. So when I think things are so bad, I don't think I can make a decision. I know that I'm almost there and I'd like to encourage you, when you think things are so bad that you cannot go on because it just can't happen, I say, you're almost there. Mm-hmm. Don't stop. Mm-hmm. Because there's somebody there guiding you, mm-hmm. just listen and you'll be there. And that's what I'd like to be for someone else. Don't give up. When you think that it's the worst moment of your life and you can't go on, mm-hmm. you're almost there. Yeah. So continue on.
0: As mentioned before, Dr. Diana is involved with a grassroots initiative that battles human trafficking in the city of Calgary called Not In My City. Not In My City is an awareness campaign started by Albertan country music star Paul Brandt with a focus on child sexual exploitation and sex trafficking. According to their website, 93% of people trafficked within Canada are Canadian. Dr. Diana's fashion style has become a symbol of hope for the people who know her constantly sporting the yellow rose that signals the fact she is a safe place. Being an optometrist and seeing into many souls, Dr. Diana says she's always on the watch for people that might be being exploited actively in our own city as she does her craft. So how did you come across the issue of human trafficking in our city? And how did you get involved with the cause? And what would you like people to know about it? Well,
1: first of all, three I wanted, big questions, but oh, yeah. First of all, uh, you know, I don't actually even know how. It's a funny thing because I know people and this and that and whatever else. Mm-hmm. I think that actually, uh, I mean, I certainly didn't know Paul Brandt. My friend is Paul Hardy, who's a big okay. friend of Paul Brandt. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, and I think that Rosanna, who's kind of the head honcho for Paul, everybody has to have their kind of manager, rest or manager, the guider. I have those yep. as well to get me at the right place at the right time. Um, anyway, uh, she had contacted me about whether I'd like to support Non-In-My-City. So whats "Not is Non-In-My-City, and mm-hmm. what does it represent? Now, of course, uh, you know, uh, I'll tell you, one of the most intuitive artists that ever existed on the planet that I know of is Paul Hardy. Mm-hmm. He's a man who, uh, of course, people know about, he's famous for this, that, and whatever else. But in everything that Paul does is a thought in a message. So I actually made him sit down here, and he designed this scarf with the yellow rose right. and whatever else. I made him sit down here as I taped him much the same way that you're taping me. Now, Paul, I know that this beautiful scarf from that beautiful yellow rose just didn't come from, like, because it's a beautiful pattern. Right. You actually put some thought into that of what it is, so you need to tell me what that's all about. Yeah. So he did. And so uh, there's a little write-up of it because I actually went through the video and I wrote it out and I said, you know, Rosanna, you need oh, to great. actually put this so that people understand what the message is when you're when you're wearing that scarf. Yeah, that really the rose um, it really is uh, from uh, Maya Angelou's uh, uh, poem, a bird in a cage, uh, uh, a release of freedom. The uh, yeah, bird is sitting in the cage and gilded and. Wants to cry out that I want to be like that other bird flying around. Yeah. And so the yellow rose represents, as Paul will say, um, you know. A rose, which is a beautiful flower among thorns. So basically, there's two sides of that story, mm-hmm. beautiful and yet in a cage. Right. And uh, so that yellow is a hard thing to talk about or to wear. And so y- you know, uh, human trafficking is a hard thing for people to talk mm-hmm. about. And in families, it spares no social economic group. Do we think that, oh, it's just people that are poor or that are there? No. Yeah. It's all walks of life. Yeah. Every one of us, any moment, could be there. Why does it happen? Because a child, a person, feels they're not good enough. Mm -hmm. And they want to get to here, but they don't think they have the capacity to do it because someone is so beaten them that says they can't do it. Mm -hmm. And when they hit a roadblock, they think the easier way is to go there, only to be imprisoned. And then once you're there, it's a very difficult cycle to get out of. And in fact, actually, it's so dangerous that you can't get out of it. And yet, we need to break the cycle. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that for 40 years, I've worked as an eye doctor. So you know, they say the eyes are the windows of the soul. So you can appreciate how many souls I have really seen of all walks of life. And I will tell you, the most important thing in life is the same for all of us. It doesn't matter who you are. And that's why I don't care who you are, care. It is, and I think three things, the most important values in life are your health, both mental and physical, your family, and time. And for all of us, there's somebody out there. So no matter who you are, you should never be alone because somewhere, it could just be a random stranger, there's somebody there for you.
0: It's becoming quickly clear in this short episode what the values Dr. Diana stands for are. She has experienced what it's like to be an outcast, to be alone, and to hit a point in life that makes one not want to move on. She's lost a dear friend to cancer in a moment that changed and redefined the way she lives every day, now with a hat. Dr. Diana is an advocate for letting children be themselves and never feel limited. She fights for freedom, purpose, and supporting one another. And all of this is what we can call her culture. I loved sitting down with the doctor and I can only hope she continues to so influence and change people's lives. She plans to do so with her very own book. Let's jump back in and hear more from Dr. Diana. And you are working currently on a book that's talking about some of these ideas and and life values. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Well, you know, people have asked me, like, what makes you, like, kind of do the things you do and whatever else? Frankly, I don't know, so I decided one day (laughs) that maybe I should see what actually makes me tick, because frankly, uh, again, I, I think about it, just the momentary thing. Yeah. And I have wonderful stories. This morning I had wonderful stories of uh, patients of mine that I've had for 40 years in the practice. I mean, I had another lady who's 87 years of age just in here this morning. She said, you know, her, she was married for 67 years. Her husband died last just a few months ago. She's devastated because they were together like peas in a pod. Every single year for 67 years, she'd wear her wedding dress on their wedding anniversary. Oh. She said, You know, two weeks before he died, she discovered that she had cancer, uh, breast cancer. Mm. And she had, a, had to have an mastectomy done. She tells her husband, He says, Oh, he says, You know what? I know that I'm going, but I'm really going to miss you. She said, why are you going to miss me? I'm going to miss you and you get all the fun up there. He <laughs> says, yeah, and I'll be even looking for that boob. <laughs> <laughs> so then she said she, yeah. could, to wait. she could be depressed or not. So she came in and she said, you know, um, two weeks um, before the funeral, or before her husband died, she said one of her great friends who was an airline stewardess who's absolutely dropped in gorgeous said, come on, we need to go shopping. She said, perfect. She says in her house she has these two man- two uh, mannequins that she has hats on. She changes them all the time. Hmm. So anyway, her friend says, "Well, we're going out and we're buying a new hat." So they go out and they buy this new hat. And she said her stewardess friend is like drop dead gorgeous, and she has this wonderful hat that any movie star would want to be seen with. So when her husband died, uh, she said that her and um, said to her, "Well, maybe I should wear this hat." But she said, "I." Her friend said, "No, I don't think I should because." You know, in the synagogue, they're going to be like, beep beep, beep beep Who's that? You know, probably be considered the mistress or something. She's running <laughs> right. any scam or whatever. OK. So anyway, now this year, a year from now in June, on June the 14th, she's having a party for her husband. OK. And at this party, with all of her children, grandchildren, whatever else, she's going to wear her wedding dress. Wow. And in this party is going to arrive her friend with her hat. And she's going to say, and who are you? I'm the mistress, and then she said to me, Doc, you need to come, and you need to wear feathers. You need to come in and hit flaunt feathers, you know, mold feathers, and say, no, I'm the mistress. <laughs> and I gotta say, you know, what a way to look at it. Yeah. And she says, you know, and good old Sam, he'll be laughing his guts out. Yeah, right? that's awesome. So, I mean, there are many ways you can look at things.
0: I had to include this little story of Dr. Diana, just because it perfectly catches her humor and zest for life. I'll also have to remember to follow up about how playing the mistress went and maybe i can get an invite to the party is there something in your life that you've turned around with a bout of humor is that part of the culture you've shaped around who you are let me know and i'll share the answers with dr mania and get her reactions send me a tweet or an instagram dm at josiah podcast and i'll put that up back to the show
1: why i'm writing this book is because i think that we should say that you know when you come from nothing And you know what it is to feel vulnerable. And you know what it is to feel unimportant. And you know what it is when people talk to you and about you. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it's devastating and it it destroys yourself because you see what people have to say. You can either become a victim and believe it, or you can say, Oh, yeah? Well, I'm glad you believe that, but let me show you how it really is. And I want to say, for every single child out there, that's what I put that sign up there. So when mothers are talking to me about why their child isn't learning and maybe the child has some deficit, and I talk to the child, can you tell me what really the problem is? Yeah. And they say, well. you know what? I don't like the teacher. I say, yeah.
0: I yeah. Know that. <laughs>
1: And so we need to listen to our children. And so you know what? I want to hang out with kids because mm-hmm. I get my greatest inspiration from my children. And I have children that, you know, and I'm like a mother, like Mother Hubbard in the, in the thing, in the <laughs> shoe. Because I have all these kids that tell me and they come and they dye their hair and whatever else they got to show me. And they dress up and they got to show me. Yes. It's just like so much fun and we never want to destroy that.
0: And you do have a family of your own as well, I do. Correct? I have yeah. two daughters. Okay, great.
1: So, I mean, you know, as much as I would really like them to take over what I do, hmm, they <laughs> soon informed me that, Mom, it's not going to be, so can you get it through your head? <laughs> yes, I've got it through my head. Travesty as it was, I have it through my head. Yeah. So, therefore, I decided i better adopt other children who might want to actually do <laughs> what I do, and so on. So, anyway, my kids are two totally different children and uh, totally doing their own thing. And, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, although it wasn't easy, you know, and I worked hard. I've worked since the day I was kind of born, I think. Mm-hmm. And I work mega hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work every single day of the week. I'm always doing something. Um, uh, and I really work hard. But, you know, I really have to say that what really gives me the inspiration to know that. Uh, in most of the work that I do, we can make a difference, Mm -hmm. right? So if I can touch the heart of some person for the better, then that's a good thing. That's why, you know, even my colleague today, my young colleague says, how do you get this out of people, Doc? Like, how do you find this out? I said, all you do is ask and listen. Mm -hmm. And when you listen, you learn a lot of things. Yeah. A lot of things. And so I have the best job in the world. Because really, you know, I learn a lot of things every single day. Yeah. I have the ability to make a difference in people's lives. Uh, you know, we have charities that we have here at our office, uh, named after my mother and uh, my daughter called Anna's Vision, where the Boys and Girls Club, they have street works who take kids off the street. Mm-hmm. I believe if you can't see, you can't learn. Mm-hmm. And so we examine them for free, and these are kids of all walks of life. We get them some nice glasses. I have a chance to talk to them about how important education is because the key to getting to where you need to get is an education, Mm -hmm. whatever that can be, and the belief in yourself that you can do it. So if you can get someone educated, then it is something that can never be eroded.
0: And can you talk a little bit about your premise of keeping the child within and what that means to you?
1: Well, I believe that every single person on this planet Every single person was born as a unique identity. And I think that's a wonderful thing, because there is never going to be anyone like you again, no matter what. Mm-hmm. The sadness that I see is that for some reason in life, we become set to the molds and the standards of what people should expect of us. Right. Therein lies the beauty of a child, Mm -hmm. because a child has this—they see things on a totally different value system, and a totally—it's unscripted, it's unfettered, it's wonderful, it's fantastic, and to see through the eyes of a child is amazing. But something happens when we put them in these value systems, and whose values are they? And we corrode them, and we make, put them in a box, and that box is so. Like a bird in a cage, you Mm -hmm. can't get out, you can't sing, you can't do anything because you have to be like this. Mm -hmm. And I feel that's very, very sad. So I want to say that we need to change society. We need to say, live the child within, because in each of us is a child that had all the possibilities, all the things that we had, right born with, Mm -hmm. that we could have expired, that we could have developed into anything. I just wish that if teachers didn't want to teach anymore, if health care people didn't want to do it anymore, they would get out. Because we really can wreck a person's persona very mm-hmm. early in life. Mm-hmm. And some of the greatest values and benefits in life have been done by a teacher that led a kid to the right direction because they believed them. Yeah. So I'm going to say, when I look at the child within, I say, in every child is a potential, and we need to develop that potential. Let's really excel in the things that we're good at. Right. And you know what? When you get to be my age, you're never gonna say you've worked a day in your life, because I haven't. Yeah. I have never worked a day in my life. <laughs> I've just actually been to a party every day in my life. And so I want everybody to really understand that. So retirement, well, I'll probably expire first, because I'm doing a lot of different things that I right. really bring flavor into the thing. Because every day that I see a person I can really develop that child within that little person Mm -hmm. that has all the ability to do things. For example, I have this little guy that comes in, Henry. Henry's dressed in a a little tutu. Right. Okay. so I say, Henry, what's with that? (laughs) And he says, oh. He says, you know, I want to dance just like my sister. I said, that's fantastic. (laughs) So Henry, what are you going to be when you grow up? Well, he says, that's easy. What is it, Henry? I'm going to be an architect. I said, Henry. I can see with all of the ability you have right now, you're going to be an amazing architect. I hope I live long enough to see you do all of that. That's what we need to Not say, no, you know, Henry, you can't dress like that because you're a boy, you got to dress like that. That is, like, so stupid. So that's why I say is that we as adults can really nurture children in what they're good at and really excel upon the things that they naturally have an aptitude mm-hmm, for. Mm-hmm. And the other crap, we have to learn the basics, and that's about it. People see this persona of people there and they think, oh, well, this is really something wonderful. But really, I've got to tell you, it isn't. Because mm-hmm. anybody can do it, you can, anybody can. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of just doing it. Right? Yeah. And if people don't like it, well, that's their problem. I just have to say anything's possible if you really want it bad enough. Yeah. And you're never too old to say it's not possible. So that's what I have to say. And that's really what I want to say.
0: I leave this interview with Dr. Manya feeling refreshed and inspired, reminded of what things were like when I was a child and I carried this potential and possibility to choose any future and path that I wanted to. I think we all can be shaped and redirected away from what we really desire because of the words of others. And I think the life that Dr. Manya chooses to live is a culture that we can all adopt. And that really fell in line with what I wanted to do with this podcast, that is listening to each other. Uplifting the dreams we all have. It's never too late to decide that you want to write a book, wear a feathery hat every day, go jump in a puddle, wear a tutu, or cross an item off your bucket list. You have unlimited potential and you have access to your child within to allow yourself to think that way once again. I hope that Dr. Diana's legacy continues to live on and people remember her for more than her outward appearance. And I'm so thankful I got to do this interview with her before she becomes the next Iris Apfel. Who Diana confided in me after the recording was her style icon. Dr. Diana has a wonderful and quirky Instagram page full of video inspirations and her daily fashions. You can follow along at doc underscore Diana underscore that's M-O-N-E-A, to keep up with her. If you're interested in learning more about Not In My City and possibly wanna have some of the Yellow Rose merch for yourself, you can visit www.notinmycity.ca. Dr. Diana Mania's book is called I See, I Can, and will be available soon. It's currently in its editorial phase. You can find Dr. Diana out and about throughout Calgary, driving around in her Fuchsia SUV, or when she's practicing in Calgary at iHealth Centers in Kensington. I'll be posting more pictures and quotes from Dr. Diana throughout the week on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, so follow along at Josiah Podcast, or on Facebook as Anti Culture with Josiah Sinanin. As I mentioned before, if you have an experience in your life that you've turned around with humor, I'm going to try and get some responses from Dr. Diana from some of your guys' feedback, so feel free to also send me that. I'm so excited to keep bringing you interviews from many walks of life, so stay tuned next week for another episode of Anti Culture that challenges the way we think about those around us. Thanks for listening.